0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold.
1: Marianne George, welcome to Viral Jesus.
2: We were 100% shocked. I think a lot of us did not expect it to go the way that it went. I think we thought we would just be putting out stuff on YouTube and it wouldn't be like a super crazy thing, but it would be cool. We're gonna just sing the songs we've written, you know? And to see how it's just taken off has been wild.
1: From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. When we think of scripture, we tend to think of a list of rules, right? But it's fascinating to me that according to the Bible Project, approximately 43% of the Bible is made up of narrative or stories, from historical narrative to parables, and roughly 33% of the Bible is poetry, including reflective poetry and songs. Isn't that fascinating? That one of the key ways God speaks to us is through the creative arts and through the beauty of music. Our guest today is someone who loves to praise God through song, Marianne J. George. Marianne J. George is a dynamic worship leader, songwriter, and musician with Maverick City Music. She is passionate about encountering the Lord through worship. So I like to open every interview by sharing one of the posts that I found after I scour and stalk your social media website. So I went to your Instagram, and it's a screenshot of a text you sent to your parents, and it says, thank you for teaching me to talk to Jesus. He is everything to me. And then you caption thank them. I assume this is a reference to the song, Talking to Jesus, which is a fantastic song. Talk to me a little bit about your faith progression and how your parents' faith has influenced your own.
2: Yeah, I just, man, that just took me back to the moment that we were listening to that and recording that song. I sent that while we were recording Old Church Basement. Like We were literally hearing Brandon sing the song and I'm, I'm sitting in like the seats facing what's being recorded. And just crying, essentially, just in awe of how beautiful that song is and how it took me back. But I grew up in a Christian home. Um, my parents were Christian and they believed in Jesus and they modeled a life of faith. Growing up, it used to be sometimes really annoying just how like <laughs> meticulous and how detailed and how on point they were about us praying together as a family, starting off our days in prayer and ending our days in prayer. We would go and spend time. At people's houses as a family, and we come home really late. And my dad's like, "Nope, we're we're gonna pray, (laughs) and then go to sleep." (laughs) So it would be like, "Oh gosh, we're so tired." Like, no, but like seeing him model that for us really just instilled in me this desire to get to know who this Jesus is that my parents are so crazy about. Mm. And so getting to see that, and then you know, I obviously had my own faith journey of ups and downs, but. I think learning to talk to Jesus and and just my journey of figuring out what that looks like, discerning his voice, like it was a long journey. But to be in that room where we were at Elevation and, and to be there and just listen to Brandon sing the lyrics of this song, it just took me back to that. And also, like, my grandfather was such a big part of my own, my dad and his faith journey. And so I was just thinking so much because I grew up as a kid listening to my grandfather praying in the morning, I would wake up to hearing him pray. And so just Mm. hearing his loud voice and just hearing him talk to Jesus in his own way, like he didn't care about who was listening or anything. And um, I think, you know, later on, I would lose him that year. I didn't know that he would pass away in the beginning of the year when we recorded this for Elevation. And so it just reminded me of him. Every time I hear that song, I, I thought about him. And now, upon his passing, I think about him still. As uh, we listen to that song, I, I always think about him. So it just reminds me a lot of like the foundation of faith that I have and my family that just basically obeyed. And I watched them obey Jesus mm. in this way. And yeah, it just brings up a whole bunch of memories and
1: um, nostalgia, to be honest. I walked in one day on my husband listening to that song, and he's just crying, sitting in our room listening to the song. And he was like, you have to hear this. And then I heard it, and I was like, I mean, um, it's so simple, too. The song is simple, but it is, it just speaks to this deep, deep experience that I think a lot of Christian mm-hmm. kids have. And then my mother-in-law and I went on a drive, and I made her listen to the song, and I told her that my husband Seth had been crying listening to it and then she started sobbing so it's just such a the entire album actually is really fantastic which we will talk about that whole the whole album album. there are no skits
2: I still remember like when we were recording it I kept thinking to myself this is like a very unique album because it's not your typical worship album but it's also very singer-songwriter like it has that that yeah. songwriter vibe and it just perfectly sits in the middle of both extremes. And I think it's just so beautiful because it does that. It's it, I don't know any other album that does that.
1: I didn't intend to ask this, but how did the title talk to us about that. Whole church basement? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I think from what I've heard, I didn't actually have a say in in the title, but from what I've heard, it kind of like all these songs that draw from past faith experiences. And I can resonate. I think most of us that were in there can resonate how we all grew up in these basement churches. I remember having a very beat down church or whatever, like that I went to. and It was like in Queens, New York, and it was just super, not beat down, but it was just not your very fancy mega church. I feel like a lot of us in Mav are so familiar with now. You know, we go to these churches, we sing at these churches. We don't hardly get those experiences where we're in those run down kind of churches or like very simple. We're renting out this space kind of church. We're not doing. Yeah, we don't really see that anymore. And so I think when these songs were written, it kind of drew from those experiences of like our foundational faith moments. You know, the moments where our faith was really secured and and grew and was birthed
1: you know? Talk to us about the origin story of Maverick City music. How did you guys come together? What's the background story there? Cause it's like all of a sudden I heard of it mm-hmm. and now I see it Everywhere. all the time. Right. So yeah. what's the
2: story? So it was started by two guys named Tony Brown and Anthony Brown and Jonathan J, who we call JJ and they were part of House Fires. And so House Fires had put out Good Good Father, and they penned some pretty big songs in the Christian world. And so they had a lot of experience. And they also had a lot of friends. And so they were just casually kind of inviting people to write songs for fun. And that's how Mm. this started. I wasn't there in the initial, initial group. I think it was just like Brandon, Dante, and Majesty, who was a part of Mav. And Alton, Alton Eugene also, who was part of Mav. And there was a few other people, maybe I'm forgetting, but it was like, they started just writing these songs. And one of the songs called This Is A Move came out of that when Tasha Cobbs was there and they helped write that song in one of those things. And it wasn't named. It was just this invite kind of thing. Like, hey, we're writing, why don't you come kind of thing. And so I was approached, Mm. I was approached because I put out a few things on social media and I did a cover of This Is A Move before it was released and I tagged some of the songwriters and one of the songwriters was Tony Brown and he'd reached out to me and was like, you have something really special. I would love to, you know, invite you to come write with us. And so-
1: Okay, wait, can I pause right there? Like, how does that happen? (laughs) How many songwriters tag- Somebody in the song doing a cover and then they reach out to them and they're like, hey, that's really good. How about you come? I know, what? but
2: I think the Christian music world is a lot smaller than we think. So I had also had ties to Bethel and, you know, and they all had um, overlapping circles, you know, so I networks.
1: think that yeah. way, yeah,
2: and networks. And so in that way, like they invited me to one and I, I started going to them in 2019 and really just... Uh, Just kind of went from there. There was a bunch of us that kind of joined together and and started writing. And it was really cool because it was people from all over. There were people from the gospel world and people from like the indie world, all within Christian music, obviously, but different walks and CCM. You know, you don't usually see a room filled with those type of people and writing a song together. They usually just stick to people in their own Mm. respective fields to keep their voice or keep their sound. Um, But this was kind of different and challenging in a way because it was just forcing people to really collaborate and bring together their different streams to create something really unheard of and new. And so it was really, really cool. I mean, for me, I was not somebody that, I was not an artist. I was not putting out music like that. I'd done a few covers. In my own community of South Asian people, like I was doing my own thing there, like worship and stuff, but not to the extent of meeting people like house fires. I wasn't meeting people like that. And so it was crazy for me because I've grown up on all these people's musics and and I'm like there and I'm riding with them now. So it kind of started like that. It was just this idea of breaking all these barriers and walls on what... The music industry says we should and shouldn't do, oh yeah, gospel people have to stay with gospel people and write gospel music. No, we can do whatever we want. And there's actually more joy and beauty and there's more depth in collaboration. I think that's what we're seeing now with MAP. Obviously, it's resonating with people, you know, seeing people that struck a nerve 100%. Right. Seeing people that looks like them, being really honest about our songwriting. I think that was also another thing. We made a very conscious effort to be honest about what we're writing about. Like not not always the easiest thing to do because it's just not what's accepted to hear sometimes. But I feel like we were just like, if we're honest with our music, I think that's going to resonate with people more than anything. And so we really prioritize just being honest about where
1: we are at. Talk to me about little teenage Marianne. Did she always want to be a songwriter? This is a question I love asking people, actually. So I'm going to ask it very specifically. Did you always know that this no. was the path that you were, and, and you never deviated or has it kind of caught you by surprise?
2: It definitely caught me by surprise. I think um, I've always really? known that I would be doing worship volunteer based. I grew up in an Indian church where, you know, a paid worship leader was not a thing. If you know immigrant lifestyles and communities like We help each other out. We're not really looking to get a dollar from it um, most of the time. Like, we're just kind of helping each other out. And so I kind of grew up in that kind of church. So I always was singing on Sunday, like leading worship. I always sang and had a talent for music. So I always knew that music would be a part of my life one way or the other. If it was a weekend thing, it would be a weekend thing, you know, but never, never anticipated never anticipated songwriting, to be honest, and never anticipated um, Mm. doing this full-time as a career. That was not something I imagined. And uh, honestly, like for my culture, it was not something that people do, especially being a female. So I don't know too many people. I can count on one hand the amount of people I know that look like me that are doing what I do right now. So this was definitely something that caught me by surprise, but... It's been really crazy since then. It's been really cool to see um, how many people are inspired by it, and how many people feel like, "Man, if you're doing it, maybe, maybe I can actually do it." And, and uh, it's all glory to
1: God for that. Have you ever thought about writing in the secular music industry world, or definitely want to stay in the Christian music industry? Um,
2: I don't know. Like, I, I, it's interesting. I know that they have to call it secular music for the sake of you know, industry matters, but I don't look at things like secular and I don't look at like, oh, like being a doctor is a secular job. No, I just kind of think of it as, (laughs) I think of it as like, you know, we're, we're Christians and everything, we're lovers of Jesus. Everything we write, everything we say, we don't even need to explicitly be talking about Jesus, but he's infused into every lyric and every line that I write. And so, I definitely write songs that are not really congregational kind of worship song, corporate songs. I definitely write songs that are not like that. And, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about my next album kind of mixing the two and just seeing what that looks like. I, I'm pretty sure it probably will be marketed as a Christian album just because it's. I am probably going to have Christian songs on there and songs about Jesus. And But I don't always write for the church and I sometimes write for process and for myself and... Or, you know, a lot of times, actually, that's probably a majority of what I write. I think that's more of what I'm writing because day-to-day life is, you know, taking care of my daughter or like, you know, dealing with things in my relationships. And so I write from those places most of the time. And when I get to write for the church, it's really specific and it's really beautiful when that time comes. But I don't really look at it as like two separate things, to be honest. But I do write outside of the church context.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference the answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org viraljesus today.
1: talk to me about your songwriting process. I'm a writer so I love talking to other writers and songwriting is just it's its own world. So talk to us about from conception to putting it down till production, what does it look like for those of us who have no idea.
2: Oh my gosh, it's like pretty embarrassing. <laughs> I feel like I am a writer I was not a strong songwriter. I I feel like I was a strong writer. Growing up, I credit this to my high school. I feel like I went to a high school that was very well-focused on just writing and and reading and and just English. I feel like all the students that I I went to school with, we all ended up getting great education in that area. And so I always had an affinity for writing. Like I was editing friends' papers. I, I did that as a side hustle for a while. So I always just enjoyed writing. But with songwriting... I felt like there was this perfectionist streak that needed it to sound a certain way for a long time. Music came very naturally to me. So I was playing instruments pretty much since I was five years old. Violin was like my main instrument. And so melodies came super naturally to me, creating songs off a whim for fun as I'm walking or something, being stupid, things like that. Melodies would come really naturally. Even now, I think that's that's one of my strong suits. I feel like I can give you a melody that would stick and would work. And I can tell which melodies might not, you know? And so I think that's a strong suit of mine, but with lyrical content, sometimes I struggle with feeling like, oh, what I want to say is too raw or too, you Mm. know, it's not syllable or things like that. And so I was always journaling. I journaled throughout my Teenage life into college, and so I have like a lot of journals of just writing. I used to tell people I'm not a songwriter, but um, but someone had corrected me and was like, "No, I actually think you you're a writer. You are a writer. Songs are not. This is the message." And so, it's just a matter of sitting and fine tuning it and being patient with yourself and really taking the discipline to put to melody some of those words that I had written. And so it's definitely been a journey. I think especially being a person that didn't really feel like they were very strong at songwriting and hardly really a song wrote themselves. I can count on my hand the amount of songs that I've written before I had been part of Maverick City. And they were were not good songs. They were not. (laughs) I sang. I sang. I feel like I was, I liked to sing and I was really You sang
1: them though, girl. (laughs) You sang them and I
2: had the confidence in that area and I knew melody, but With the songwriting, I was so good at it. I didn't feel good at it. And so you can imagine my insecurity being like thrown into a song, my first ever song, Brandon Lake and Brett Yonker and and like Tim Timmons. And I'm like, why am I here? (laughs) Because I'm like, I'm just, I, I, I felt like I was a little fish thrown into a big ocean of songwriters that are just brilliant, amazing, so good at what they do. And so it was kind of a journey of really depending on Jesus in a way that was, I really had no choice and uh, and it, I I needed something. I needed him to help me do this. If this is like the career path he wanted me on, in which I prayed and I felt like he, he was putting me on this path. And I was like, okay, God, if you're putting me on this path, I'm, I'm, I'm going to need your help because this does not come as naturally to me as I'd like. The concepts for songs come very naturally to me, but actually penning them the lyric it didn't come very naturally to me i think over time it's getting better but i still feel like i'm not a very strong lyricist definitely more focused on melody but i think i hear melody in songs so well so when it comes to production this is what i want and i like can hear what I want. And I'm working on
1: gotcha. putting
2: words to that and communicating that well. That was something I might, my producer Austin Davis for my own album was so patient with me about certain things that I wanted to see. And he really, really put to, to melody what I, you know, what I was envisioning. And so I think that's key, like finding a good producer that can understand what you want. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of like the songwriting process for me. Because I feel like I'm not very experienced in it, it feels like it can be a little bit of a difficult thing for me sometimes. But I think with time, it gets a lot better. I'm definitely in a better place than I was three years ago, you know? So very long-winded answer where we got
1: there. (laughs) No, I think that that's super encouraging, probably for a lot of people who feel like, yeah, It just confirms, I guess, that God will make way, right? And just made perfect in our weakness. Yes, yes.
2: I, I think so too. I definitely have seen that. And I feel like God brought me on this journey to kind of show me that. I had been in a career path before of a therapist, like being a therapist. And I felt like that came so naturally to me. I was able to have conversation. Like it didn't really, to be honest, I don't feel like I needed to pray to ask for things, you know? And so- With this, it was just, (laughs) I need help. Mm. I really need help in this. And it really caused me to depend on Jesus in a a way that I didn't, I wasn't
1: doing. I'm a professor. I teach communication courses. What would you say to a student in my class who, Mm. and I have a lot of them that I can think of that are incredible musicians, but have zero networking connections and are like, how do I do this? Where do I start? What would you say to them? Wow.
2: Okay. So I think like, Social media has worked to our advantage a lot, but I also feel like some people are just not social media people. <laughs> That's another thing. So, but in the right. world of social media, it's a lot easier than it used to be to get yourself known. But I think even before that, I think practicing mm-hmm. with yourself on what does honest penmanship look like? What does honest dialogue look like? And I think practicing that, just being okay with saying things that People are not used to hearing, I think is just a really important skill. The more that we are honest with ourselves and with others, I think we honestly like become better artists. And so I would encourage them before even getting on social media, mm-hmm. which I, I would say eventually if you if that's something you want to do, I would encourage it. But I think even before you get there, being really Intentional about crafting your own voice and what that sounds like what do you stand for as an artist? what do you stand for as a person? For me, like I want to be honest in everything. I want to sing a song that I feel like I would listen to and be like, oh, I'd say that I'd say that. I would sing that mm. Mm. and so that was really important to me. Mav ended up coming and like I feel like the whole process was public, but I feel like ideally it would be something I worked on myself. Then, when I feel ready to share something, I can do it from a place of like I've practiced and worked on this, and I feel ready to share this. And and you know, so I think perfecting that and just practicing your voice and crafting your voice. And when I say your voice, I'm not talking about your singing voice. I'm just saying like the message behind whatever you want to put out to the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Communication exactly. What do you want to communicate? as a communicator, (laughs) like what is your thing, you know? And so I think if that's something you focus on, I feel like, you know, that's a good first step.
1: What was the role, what would you say is the role social media played in the explosion with Maverick City music?
2: Oh yeah. I think First of all, I feel like Matt,
1: Like, Were you guys shocked?
2: Yes. Yeah. We were not... I mean, we were 100% shocked. I think a lot of us did not expect it to go the way that it went. I think we thought we would just be putting out stuff on YouTube and it wouldn't be like a super crazy thing, but it would be cool. We're going to just sing the songs we've written, you know? And to see how it's just taken off has been <laughs> wild. I think... Especially during the pandemic, so many people were in need of something. And social media was that thing that was just there. And we were determined to make social media a place that was becoming really divisive and just really not fun anymore. Mm -hmm. We were like, let's infuse love, let's infuse Mm -hmm. hope, let's do something that we're not seeing. What do we need to see in our society right now? And I think Mav just kind of came out of that. We just stepped up to the plate and we were like, We want to show this to the world. And I think the world was so desperate for it which is why it just was eaten up by everybody. Everybody loved it. Everybody felt encouraged by it. Not even just Christian people, but I think just the the rawness behind some of the lyrics we were penning, mm-hmm. it attracted people who weren't Christian and who maybe had a hard time putting to words what they were feeling and and I think they resonated with that. People outside of the Christian music yep. world. Celebrities, athletes and influencers. People were just That's what I've been wanting to hear. And I just never heard it. And so I think that was the power of social media in our way. But I think we made it work for us because social media is not a great, I mean, I want to get off every day. (laughs) And I feel like with what I do right now, can't really afford to do that. But it was just, we were going to make it work for us. And uh, we wanted to give what we felt like needed to be heard right now.
1: I'm doing this new thing this season where I ask people online if they could sit down with my guest what would they ask them? And I have some questions for you specifically. KPMZ95 says, with tours, multiple commitments for several consecutive days and a new baby, how does she ensure she connects with the Lord and spends quality time with him consistently in the midst of such a busy season? Has she ever felt like she's losing her place of intimacy in these times?
2: Oh my gosh, yes, I do. And I feel like that's a really timely question because I also feel like, God has been talking to me about this recently. For me specifically, I think. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if you have kids, but I think when you have that first kid, it's just like, oh my gosh, where is my life? Yeah, I don't yeah. have one anymore. Like, <laughs> you know, and just finding. I mean, to be honest, thankfully this <laughs> this is really bad, but I got COVID this week, and um, it forced me to kind of be right. home and and stay away from everybody and be alone and confront things and and to pray and spend time in prayer, like. I don't get the privilege of honestly doing that mm. all the time. And I have a lot of guilt now that I've had a baby because post-baby, I'm, I'm sure m- new moms know this. You know, you can wake up, grab your change, grab your coffee. It's a whole morning routine, spending time with Jesus, very intentional The second you get a child, it's like, man, we'll be grateful if we washed our face this morning and, you know, drank some water. And so I struggled with the guilt of just feeling like, God, I haven't really spent time with you. And this is like (laughs) embarrassing. I'm I'm like, I do this for a job and I'm not even looking at getting. But he was telling me, I felt him sharing with, no, you're, you know, between changing diapers and sterilizing bottles, there are things I'm teaching you. And I shared this on my story last night about. In in Proverbs 1, in the Passion Translation, there's a beautiful verse where it just basically says, like, wisdom song, it's not always heard in the halls of higher learning, but it's in the hustle and bustle of everyday life. And so I was just hearing that, I'm like, yeah, maybe it's not always an aesthetic, open my Bible and sip my coffee kind of moment. But even in in the changing of clothes and the spit ups and the vomit of a baby, even in like sterilizing bottles God is teaching us things and he shows me things and he he cultivates within me a, a heart of love and patience and you know things I probably would not have gotten without living it out and so I think that's that's kind of what I'm learning right now you know I'm not able to to get that solid time every day sometimes you know and that's me being honest. Mm-hmm. It's a struggle. And I'm sure people who have families, careers, it's like, you really have to fight yes. to create that time, which I'm working on now. But yeah, it's, it's pretty hard. And I think I can speak for my team. We have a lot of us who are, you know, having kids now and it's, it is a struggle, but we're very honest, like I said, about where we're at. And I think that's been really helpful.
1: Follow my Fernway asked, How does Maverick City share their work and worship so broadly while keeping it sacred and protect it from commercialization?
2: I feel like we struggle with that, to be honest, because with so much of a broad reach comes the need to structure things and to, you know, compartmentalize and, yeah, like commercialize, to be honest. And I think we struggle with balancing the two sometimes we walk into situations purposely not being told things because we want to preserve the sacredness mm-hmm. of our heart and what it looks like to kind of just ride the journey mm-hmm. like you know and sometimes that's really frustrating though when you have families <laughs> it's been really uh interesting I feel like we're, we're figuring that out because there's a big difference between the people that run MAV and the people that are in MAV and and we as the artists really fight to preserve that sacredness. I mean, it's who we are. We're not business people. Like we're not people that know how to commercialize on what we're doing, (laughs) but we work with people that we have to work with people now at this point with just the reach that we have. We have to work with people that do that for us. It's been hard because we're just like, man, this doesn't feel like, you know, it doesn't feel like me and it doesn't feel like, but at the same time, we need that. We need some structure. Right. We need some about lines and, and boundaries on things. And so I think it's just a healthy balance. And we're, we're trying to figure that out. I can't say we're perfect at it. And I don't want to ever make it seem like we are. I think my whole team would say that, but that's how we preserve the heart of it. We're constantly aware of it. We're constantly aware of the heart, keeping the main thing, the main thing.
1: Which is half the battle, right?
2: Yeah. And I think Mab also does writing sessions you know, with nobody there, like just us. And we get to the heart of Mm. how we started, you know? And I think that really helps in in creating, cultivating that sacredness, that organic feeling that we've loved. And and so whenever we get to do that, whenever we're with each other and we get to write, it just preserves that sacred feeling of our family.
1: and, And yeah, it protects our heart. D2D underscore Christian asks, Marianne speaks about the role worship plays in one's mental health. What does she feel are the most important aspects of worship pertaining to mental health? I think what
2: he's saying is kind of like, what does it look like to to be honest about where we're at? I, I think that's really it. Because mental health, if I'm struggling with anxiety or depression or rejection or things, just different things. Like I think it's really important to not hide those things when you're coming to worship. It says to lay those things at the feet of Jesus. And I think there's an active surrender in that moment. And worship is sacrifice. It is surrendering something. And so the second we choose and make that decision to surrender those things actively and to sacrifice those things, put it on the altar of our praise and our worship and the second we do those things, I think we experience freedom. And it may not look like, oh, yeah, my chains are gone. We're good. It's like a, a daily dying to some of those things. I struggle with anxiety sometimes. And I think when it comes to standing on a stage and and struggling with that, I have to tell myself mm-hmm. it's okay to feel this anxiety. I'm not alone in this right now. Jesus is here with me. And the lyrics that I'm going to sing are almost like the the wind beneath my wings that i need to make me feel you know jesus is here and helping me through this so i think like just being upfront about that with yourself and with the lord hey i'm feeling this right now i'm not going to try to pretend i'm perfect for this worship set or i'm not going to pretend i'm perfect for this seminar or i'm not going to pretend i'm perfect for this interview no i'm going to just be honest this is something i need you with me through and through this i want to choose to to praise and through this i want to choose to worship like give me that heart to choose worship over my circumstance. And it's not easy, but I think that's a way to bring in, you know, worship into our mental health issues and our need to be healed and and well. I think worship heals us and like songs don't heal us. But when we sing songs that point us to the character, who Jesus is, it it aligns itself with our circumstance, right? And so We bring our circumstance in alignment with his character and who he is. And so when we do that, we experience freedom and and trust and knowing that Jesus is who he says he is. I can trust him with this. And so I think that's something we actively have to try to do. And I I feel like for my own life, when I've actively done that, it's not that my anxiety goes away or, you know, I don't think it always just disappears, but I, I experience Someone with me through it. I don't feel alone. And so that to me is the goal to feel the Lord wants us to know that He's with us. And I think what better way to like ensure us of that, right? Like He could easily make the problem go away, but Mm. we wouldn't need Him. I think that's beautiful.
1: Emily Nicole 92 says, Please tell her I love her. Okay, you don't have to tell her that, but I do. So I Thank did you. share with you. Marianne J. George is a dynamic worship leader, songwriter, and musician with Maverick City Music. You've got to check out their latest album, a collaboration they did with Elevation Worship called Old Church Basement. I'm not kidding. I play it every single week. My kids know all the songs. You've got to check it out. Marianne, I want to end this interview by asking you a question I ask all of my guests. It's going to sound heavy- Think as simply as you can. Our show is called Viral Jesus for a reason. Virtually all credible historians, Christian and non-Christian alike, agree that there was a man named Jesus that actually lived and walked this earth 2,000 years ago. How can we, 2,000 years later, best communicate who Jesus was and what his mission is today?
2: Love people. That's it. Love people. Holy, just like Jesus would. I think if we do that, we we show Jesus a lot more than we think.
1: Thanks, Marianne George, for joining us for this episode. We like to end every episode with a little segment I call Growing Viral. And this is where I give you some direct strategies you can implement into your real life that will help you be a better communicator and connector both online and off. Here is your Growing Viral Homework. There was this moment like four summers ago where I played gospel singer Tamela Mann's song, Take Me to the King, over and over and over on the floor of my sunroom. I would just get on my knees and let that song wash over me. I was struggling um, to find a full-time job. So this actually would have been seven summers ago. I was struggling to find a full-time job applying everywhere, couldn't find anything, was adjuncting for like five different institutions. And I just felt so, so forgotten by God because I felt like I had done all the right things and yet nothing was opening for me. I felt bitter, honestly. But with every verse that Tamla Mann sang, I felt a tiny piece of my heart shift back into place. I don't know where you are at emotionally or spiritually right now, but I do know the power of music. This week, actually... Today, I want you to meet the Lord through music. Maybe it's Maverick City or sitting down alone in your room and singing to one of your favorite hymns, whatever it is that may sing to your soul when your heart can't find words, let the music wash over you like I did several summers ago and ask God to meet you in the song. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson-Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Next week, we will talk to my friend, the wise and very anointed Christina Edmondson. I'll see you next week for another conversation where a Viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen. So we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus.
0: This episode was brought to you in part by the Better Samaritan Podcast, where Jamie Ayton and Kent Annan discuss everything from simple acts of kindness to complex humanitarian challenges with their guests. Want to learn how to faithfully do good better? Find insights at The Better Samaritan.